Radio. How the Holy Spirit is active within us. A talk by Archbishop Julian Bordius at the Immaculata Mission School 2015. Held at the Sacred Heart Retreat Centre in Croydon, Melbourne. I've been asked um, today to speak about the Holy Spirit actually twice. Um, so once this morning and then uh, again this evening. And so what I want to do, what I've been asked to do is firstly talk a little bit in this talk about who is the Holy Spirit and then tonight to look more specifically about receiving the Holy Spirit. So this morning we'll, we'll just look at this question of who is the Holy Spirit. Now, we all know about the Holy Spirit. We know that, we, that he's a third member of the, of the Blessed Trinity. We know that when we say the Creed at Mass, we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. It's a statement of faith we make. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of, li Lord and giver of life. So <clears throat> we're conscious, obviously, of, of the Holy Spirit and critical place the Holy Spirit plays in our faith. <clears throat> we also know that a lot of the revelation about the nature, the mission, the activity of the Holy Spirit comes to us through the New Testament. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, you read through the Acts of the Apostles, you read through the, the writings of, of, the, uh, of St. Paul, St. John, as we heard today, they will invariably speak about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit permeates the New Testament. Many, many, many references to it. The Holy Spirit came upon the Blessed Virgin Mary, Daniel Gabriel said, and this is the way the Son of God will be born amongst us. So the references to the Holy Spirit are right through, permeate right through the, the New Testament. And, and we know to not only are there many, many references, say, in the Gospels to the Holy Spirit, but there are also some very specific promises in relation to the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you look at um, chapters 14 to 16 of St. Some, of some John's Gospel, that's really drawing to a close. That's really the, the culmination. That's, that's really the Lord moving into the final discourse of the Lord to his disciples at the Last Supper. So, so these, what's said in those chapters, 14 to 17 actually, is really the last testament of the Lord, if you like, speaking to his disciples conscious of what's about to take place. So, so he's really, you see in this right, he's really speaking about them now moving to the next phase of their discipleship when, when the Lord himself won't be physically with them. He's about to be taken, crucified and rise, eventually sent into heaven. So when, when Jesus is speaking to them in those chapters 14 to 17, he's really beginning to look at what will be the next phase for them, the next, the next step of their own discipleship. And it's in, in that context that, that th on three occasions, 
the Lord specifically talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit will be sent upon them. That the Holy Spirit has already been active in the life of Jesus in various ways, that his baptism in the Jordan, the Holy Spirit came down upon him. Um, we could say his transfiguration was a sign of the glory of, of God's Holy Spirit. Working and, and so many other cases where the Holy Spirit is related to the ministry of Jesus himself. But now he's speaking about the fact that when he goes, the Holy Spirit is going to be a critical agent in the continuation of his mission through his disciples. If you like, he's saying to them, not in so many words, but he's saying, now look, I've been here. I've been with you. I've been talking to you. I've been instructing you. You've seen me in action. You've seen the, the, the miracles I've worked. You've listened to my teaching. You've been with me. You've seen how I operate. You've seen how I engage with the people and so on. You've seen all these things. And I've been forming you and, and preparing you to go and continue my mission. So he'd send them out. He'd have these trial runs. He'd have this work experience. He'd send them out in pairs to go out to different towns and villages. So he's doing all this preparation for them at that level of formation. But he's also got another thing very, very much in mind. And he's saying to them, but there's something extra I'm going to do. Not only have I trained you and, and sent you out and given you practice runs and so on, there's something else that you're going to receive that will be critical to you continuing my mission. And that is, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. In one place, he calls the Holy Spirit another advocate. Now, an advocate is someone who assists a person. You know, in law, you have an advocate. So you've got to stand up before the judge. So you get the lawyer who's your advocate, who speaks on your behalf. And, and so Jesus said, I'm going to send you another advocate. Like, I've been with you to, to act on your behalf, to, to guide you and so forth. There's going to be another advocate. Going to come. That'll be the Holy Spirit. And so, in uh, John uh, fourteen fifteen, he says, "If you love me, to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. So stay close to me. Stay close to my teaching. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Advocate to help you and to be with you forever." I'm going to ask the Father, when, so when I, when I send to my Father, I'm going to say, my Father, send the Holy Spirit now to help them because they're going to need help in being able to continue in discipleship and particularly continue in my mission. And he says, this advocate that I'll send will be, he says, the Spirit of truth. Send you a Spirit of truth. And then he adds something very interesting. He says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you will know him because he is in you. He is with you. So he's saying this gift that I'm going to send, this advocate, this spirit of truth who will come to you, the world may not, the world won't recognize, it won't see appreciate the significance and importance of the, this gift that you will. 
Because you realize he's, he's with you, he's in you. And you'll know that he is there. You'll know that he is there working with you, assisting you, guiding you, supporting you. Another place in John 14, he says, that the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. So he will be the one to actually inspire you, particularly when you are going to be going out and acting in my name, when you're going to be the disciples going out and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, which, of course, would be the great mission that Jesus would entrust to his disciples at his ascension. Now, don't worry, because the Holy Spirit will be there. And he'll, he'll be inspiring you, guiding you, teaching you. He'll be the one to lead you in the ways of truth. And, of course, that will happen when we realize that the Holy Spirit's there and we're open to being formed and guided by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting, after the Lord's resurrection, again, we look at St. John, and the Lord appears to his disciples on that first Easter Sunday evening. It's always interesting to look carefully at the words the Lord says because they are always words of significance and importance. He says two things. First, he said, peace be with you. Like they're confused, frightened, uncertain. They don't know what's going on. They, they, they think the whole thing is just fallen apart around them by, the, by Jesus being taken and crucified and they haven't quite come to grips with the meaning and significance of the resurrection. They can't quite get it all together in their heads. He said, peace be with you. Don't worry. And the next thing he says was, receive the Holy Spirit. It's like the immediate thing that Jesus wanted to bring to his disciples after saying, be at peace. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. It's like, this is what is the gift that I want to give now to my disciples after my resurrection who are then going to be carrying out my mission. And then we notice that uh, the Lord, at, his, um, at the time of his ascension, said to his disciples that I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait. So the Lord said, I'm about to ascend to the Father. Now, what you ought to do after my ascension, he just said to them, by the way, go out to all the world, said, now, before you do that, you're going to do that, but before you do that, he says, go back to Jerusalem and wait. Wait till you are clothed with power from on high. So the disciples go back to Jerusalem, back to the, the upper room, the same room they've been with Jesus at the Last Supper, and then they waited. And then in Pentecost Day, power of the Holy Spirit came down upon them. So in other words, when, when we think about all these things, we can see that the Holy Spirit was, was, was critical to the whole plan of Christ for what was to happen in the lives of his disciples and in the church. There was going to be now another advocate. There was going to be another way in which the presence 
the power and activity of God was going to be realised in and through his disciples, in and through his church. So in other words, Jesus just didn't say, okay, guys, now I want you to do this, this and this, and he'd been training them and forming them. He said, good luck. I've got to go back to the Father now. I've done my bit, so it's up to you. Good luck. Maybe a lot more than that. He said, yeah, this is a mission. But you're not going to be alone. You're not going to have to, to do the best you can according to your own lights and talents and skills and so on. The Holy Spirit was absolutely critical to the plan and purpose of Christ for the church. So having said all that, we can say, yeah, good, that makes a lot of sense. I hope it does. But the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a bit of a mystery, isn't he? Who is the Holy Spirit? What? How do we understand the nature of the Spirit? How do we understand what the Holy Spirit does? You know, we, we accept in the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We see that the scriptures talk about the Holy Spirit. Yes, yes, yes. Now, what are the implications of this for my life? Maybe we could just think for a moment, well, okay, how do I, how do I understand the Holy Spirit? How do I grasp the, the, the nature of the presence of the Holy Spirit? How, how aware am I of the Holy Spirit as an active agent in my life? So I say, well, I believe it, but I'm not too sure how to understand it. For, for example, when Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit, and, and we heard John the Baptist do it, today in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 in a, in a very important verse for us in Australia it was a theme chosen by Pope Benedict for the World Youth Day in Sydney what was the, what was the theme of the World Youth Day in Sydney you receive power when comes upon you and well done you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Do we identify with that? Can we say, yes, I yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's the Holy Spirit in my life is power. I've seen the power of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist today said, he spoke about the idea that, that Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, and fire. So the Spirit is not just some quiet little presence, mysterious spiritual thing. It's, it's more than that. It's power. It's fire. So what is this power? How is this Holy Spirit powerful in our lives. Now, each of us receive the Holy Spirit when we're baptised. Now, that was not necessarily most of us were babies. It wasn't necessarily 
you know, a big zap, if you like. <laughs> you know, I baptised a little baby yesterday morning just before I left here. I was asked to do a baptism. So I did a baptism, baptised a child. They're normally fairly sedate affairs unless the baby starts carrying on. But there didn't seem to be any power there when, when, when I baptised. Now, the Holy Spirit, as well as power, is also a quiet, abiding presence. You might remember that uh, great story about the prophet uh, uh, Elijah. When he, when he went to, he went back, you know, he was, got frightened and, because Jezebel was trying to get him and he headed back and he, he went across to Horeb, Mount Sinai. And um, he was in a cave in Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai, you might remember, was a place where Moses was and, and those were times when, when God manifested his presence in power. You know, there were thunder and lightning and clouds and there was, and there was uh, great sounds and so forth when, when Moses was up the mountain. So, so the manifestation of God's presence there on Mount Sinai was a powerful presence. So Elijah goes and then he's in the cave and he's really confused and frightened and he's lost all his courage and confidence about his role as a prophet. And then, then God says to him, go out and stand on the, on the edge of the mountain. And then there were manifestations of power. But he said the Holy Spirit wasn't there. And then eventually there was this gentle breeze and the Holy Spirit was in the breeze. So the Holy Spirit is also in the breeze. The Holy Spirit is also quiet. And that's what happens in the main, just about all the time, when we're baptised. The Holy Spirit comes like the breath, breathes. The breath of God is breathed into each person when they're baptised. Now, we may not be aware of the presence of the Spirit or conscious the Holy Spirit is there, but the Holy Spirit is there. I often like to say, when you woke up this morning, did you say, well, I better start breathing today or I'm in trouble, do you? No. Did you? No. Were you breathing during the night? Good. You didn't, and, and each, each time you don't think, breathe in, <gasps> out. You don't, you, didn't, you don't have to do that, do you? You don't have to make yourself breathe, do you? You don't have to keep thinking about breathing, okay? But we breathe, but because we breathe, we live. So the Holy Spirit is in us like the breath of God. The Holy Spirit breathes in us. Now, we take breathing for granted, except when we do a, a marathon or climb 25 uh, stories up a, mount, uh, up, a, up a hill or climb a big mountain or something, you know? <sighs> we become conscious. Like, I, like my cathedral is down on Harrington Street, and uh, the bishop's house is up top of the hill and there's a, there's a pathway with the, somebody told me 100 and something ste steps in it. And uh, every morning after I say morning mass, I climb up the steps to go to the, to go to the cathedral house going for, to have breakfast. So I always say, I arrive at breakfast breathless because, and you become aware of your breathing when you are, uh, when you're puffing and panting and so on. So it's the same with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in us, but like the breathing, we don't often, not even conscious of the Holy Spirit, but he's there. It's a little bit like our breathing. If we stop breathing, we're in big trouble. And so with our faith, 
Because the Holy Spirit is what nourishes our faith, nourishes our spiritual life. We're alive spiritually because we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit in baptism. So we live spiritually because of the Holy Spirit, but we're often not aware of that. We're often not conscious of the fact that the Holy Spirit is there in us, silently present, but enabling us to have faith. And actually, we could say that for, for many of us, we've quietly been growing in our faith because in one way or another, we've enabled the Holy Spirit just to move a little bit more in us. So faith, the spiritual life, prayer, inspiration as to the way we live, all these sorts of things are the, the fruits, the result, the effect of the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us when we were baptised. So that's something which we, again, can accept and appreciate, but it still hasn't answered this power question I'm talking about. And we have to say, too, don't we say that the Holy Spirit is mysterious. The, the word that uh, is used in, in Hebrew is the word chua, which actually means wind. And, of course, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, what was the first manifestation, the first sign, the first indication? The wind started blowing, started blowing a bit stronger. The wind was blowing. Now, that, that idea of wind, I talked about breath before. Wind is, is often you know, very similar. The wind is very, very useful to think about the Holy Spirit. Can you see the wind? Can't see the wind, can you? Just like can't see the Holy Spirit. Can't see the wind. Well, if you can't see the wind, how do you know the wind is real? Like it's now a little bit windy outside. How do you know the wind? And if I'm, I'm standing in here now, and I'm looking outside, looking out the back there, actually there's some whirly-whirlies and there's things. How do, you know, how do you know the wind is blowing outside if you're standing inside? Chatra. Yeah, you can feel it, and I'll come to that in a moment. But if I'm looking, if I'm here and I'm looking outside, you see the effects, can't you? That's right. See the effects of the wind. So you see, the Holy Spirit has effects, and that's often how we know the Holy Spirit's in us. In fact, you you can notice at times that even as you have been living your your Christian life more intensely by coming along to Macalada. Um, mission school, you'll be even living it more intensely when you, when you go back. And you can say, some things have ha are happening to me. I've got stronger faith. I've got a desire to pray. I feel a desire to be missionary. I, I, I have a greater sense of love for my faith. I, I find myself drawn more deeply to the sacramental life of the church. I want to draw closer to God. You know, all these sort of things that are happening. These are the effects of the Spirit. What's happening is we're enabling the Spirit to blow more in us. So, so even though we say at one level, he's just a breath keeping us alive spiritually, in another way, he's blowing within us and actually beginning to produce effects. And when we look back on our life, we can sort of say, I've grown... Things have happened to me. I'm different 
today than I was a year ago. My faith is stronger. I'm, I'm more confident. I'm more courageous about my life. I'm actually finding I'm overcoming issues and problems and difficulties in my life. I'm, I'm finding that somehow something is happening in me which is changing me. And I, I realise there is a presence, something at work in me that's producing these good results, these good fruits. You know, in St Paul's letter to the Galatians, St Paul talks about the Holy Spirit. He said what the Holy Spirit brings is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. What, what he's saying is if you live a life in the Spirit and if you particularly live your life in such a way that you're more open to the presence and movement and activity of the Holy Spirit in your life, then actually there are going to be fruits come for you. You're actually going to be changed. And it's not going to be so much to say, right, today I'm going to be patient especially those people who drive me mad. I'm going to be patient. As though I'm making all the effort. Now, what we find, and we've got to do that too, we've got to make an effort to, to be better, but we just find we are more patient. I don't know why, but I just am more peaceful. I've just got a greater peace in my heart. I find that I've got a greater capacity to love people. I'm not just loving people love me, and I'm not just loving them out of emotion that I want to be their friend or something like that, but I'm finding I just love people. There's a love that's coming out of me that's not really me. It's not the result of my own effort. It's certainly the result of my own cooperation, my own desire to be more loving, to be more peaceful, to be more patient kind and so on. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So, so the Spirit is actively, actively changing us, transforming us in the depths of ourselves. Often we are not aware of it until we stop and think. We look back on our life and we think, I must have been a real pain to live with about two years ago or whenever. But I've changed. I'm different. And you sort of say, well, yeah, I've, I wanted to be different. But something else has enabled me to become different. It hasn't just been me. It's Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's work. Because we've opened ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We've let the Holy Spirit move in us. So there is a power, there is a transforming power at work in us that's not so striking like, a, like some great events that suddenly I'm wonderfully transformed in one moment. But quietly, steadily, slowly, the Holy Spirit's having effect. It's changing me, changing my life. So there is a power at work transforming power of God is at work in us through the Holy Spirit. However, we can see that there's also more, more ways 
in which the Holy Spirit can be powerful. The other thing that happened at Pentecost, what was the other sign? So we had the wind was blowing, strong wind blew just before the Holy Spirit came. Then something else happened at Pentecost. What, what, what was the other thing that happened? For each of the disciples individually. You know? Who said? Fire. What, there, was a, there was a tongue of fire over each of the disciples. We go back to John the Baptist saying that Jesus will baptise the Holy Spirit in fire. Is it fire? And we saw these, these disciples who were frightened and confused, who were in the upper room there and were uh, not certain about, even though the Lord had risen from the dead, even though the Lord had appeared to them and, 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 uh, and they had come to believe they had risen from the dead, but they were still really, they were frightened that, that the same thing might happen to them, that happened to Jesus. If they started going out preaching, what's going to stop the, Roman, the, the Jewish authorities from grabbing them? and getting them crucified the same way that Jesus was crucified. And they were thinking, look at the crowds on the mountain, uh, on the hill of Calvary, Golgotha, mocking Jesus, laughing at him, condemning him. The crowds who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. If we go out, and we start to continue the mission of Jesus, what are our chances that the same thing will happen to us? So you can understand why they were frightened, fearful, uncertain. And then when the Holy Spirit came, that fire came upon them. St. Peter goes up, opens up the door of the room where they were, the large crowd, because there's all this Things happening. This what's happening in this house down the road. There's, there's there's wind blowing, and there's suddenly there's all this activity in the room. And what's going on? There must be having a wild party. They must be drunk. This this must be a drunken crowd in this upper room because suddenly they're all talk because they all started speaking out and they're all talking and all these extraordinary things were happening in the room. You know the people. What's going on? What's going on in this room? So they all gathered, didn't they? they all came around this room. Oh, what's trying to happen in this room? And Peter goes up, opens up the door, and this large crowd was gathered outside. And straight away he said, people of Jerusalem, I want to tell you about this Jesus of Nazareth whom you crucified. This man you crucified. He has risen from the dead. He's Lord and Christ. Explain the whole meaning and purpose of, of, of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And that's when they said then, they were cut to the hearts and Luke tells us. He spoke with such power and authority and confidence that people were, were, were just grabbed by the words, cut to the heart. They were, these words, this preaching of John the Baptist, of St. Peter, so touched them that they were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do, brothers? What are we going to do? We accept what you said. You're right. And that's what I said, the same last night. And he said to them, You've got to be baptised in the name of Jesus because that's what Jesus told them to do at the ascension. Go out to all the world, proclaim the gospel, baptise them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he said, well, I know that's what I've got to do. You've got to, do, you've got to be baptised. You've got to repent, as I said before, be baptised, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. 
you'll receive this same outpouring of the grace of the Holy Spirit in your life as occurred to us just now. So Peter was completely confident. This wasn't just for them. This just wasn't a gift only for the 12 disciples. It was meant for everyone. And this power that was released in them would be a power that would be released in their lives as well. And when you read the, um, the Acts of the Apostles, you'll see a number of occasions where the disciples um, prayed with people and, and they just say, and the Holy Spirit came down upon them. So in other words, there were quite clear manifestations in, 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 the, in the early church when people, because they were adults and they were prayed with and, and they experienced the presence and power of God in, in, in some particular way. We find in the early church clear signs of the, the Holy Spirit working, often in quite extraordinary ways. And so the Holy Spirit would give particular gifts, spiritual gifts to people. People suddenly had quite amazing spiritual gifts. And so St. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, talks to the Corinthian community about some of the gifts of the Spirit that were manifest among them. And he lists them there that, that have the gift of tongues, they give the prophecy, the gift of healing, uh, the, 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 the gift of, of preaching and teaching and so on. So, so they're also aware that, that not only did people receive the Holy Spirit that, that brought them firstly to conversion, to a new, to a new life of faith, not only as they lived under the power of the Holy Spirit did they start receiving a sense of this, uh, experiencing a sense of being transformed and the fruits of the Spirit becoming manifest, but they also receive particular spiritual gifts. And, and, and Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, when he talks about these gifts, makes a very, very important point. He said, these gifts, don't, don't think because you've got the gift of... Uh, of, of healing or you've got the gift of prophecy or something like that, that you are specially holy or you've, you've been kind of marked out as somebody um, very important and, you know, and start saying, well, my gift's better than your gift and, 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 and thinking that the gift is also something I'm just going to use for myself to show how great and holy and how terrific I am in the church because I got this particular gift. He said, no. He said, you've got to think about a body. See, the body's got a lot of different parts in it. It's got, it's got the eyes and the ears and the hands and everything like that. They're all different. But they're all essential for the body. So the gifts you receive are not gifts for you. They're not gifts for your benefit. They're not gifts just to be used the way you want to, if you like, create something for yourself. I'm the great prophet. No. Your gift St. Paul says, is for the church. And your gift is important, but it's only one among a number of gifts. And it's the whole body of Christ that's important. And your gift makes a contribution, a particular contribution, to the functioning of the body. Very important thing about the church in this. In the church, we are all one, we are all united. But each one of us, not only are different in terms of our own personalities and backgrounds and particular personal gifts and talents, but at a spiritual level too, each one of us are different and God's spirit can manifest himself in us in particular ways that are actually 
for the good of the body, for the good of the church. And so people find themselves just really drawn to a particular form of service or particular contribution that they can make to the church. And, and all these are quite different. And so anybody like a, a body of people like this, there'll be quite a diversity of gifts, not only in terms of personalities and skills, but people will find themselves drawn in particular ways. Some people just say, all I really want to do is serve. I, I just love serving and I'm really happy serving. I don't need to be up front giving the talks. I don't feel any call or any desire or any interest in doing that whatsoever. Leave that to others. But I'm really happy being behind the counter, serving. The gift the Spirit moves in particular ways because the Spirit gives particular gifts to different people. I think one of the important things that we should do as, as we grow in our Christian life is reflect upon the particular sense of calling or desire to serve or, or the way in which we feel we have a place in the church. See, see, every part of the body has a purpose. There's, there's no parts of the body that are just there as dead weight. Every part of the body is there because it has a particular way of contributing to the body. So, so none of us should see ourselves in the church in particular communities that we're part of, none of us should see ourselves as, as the also-runs, as, as those who are just coming along and partaking. Now, in the beginning, that's what we'll do. We'll come along, we'll be involved. But, but we should see ourselves as moving into a contributing role in, in the body. That that's, that's the way the Spirit works. The Spirit moves and gives people particular gifts, draws them in particular ways, enables them to contribute to the church in particular ways. And, and so, again, this is the power of the Spirit. And sometimes people will, will sense that this um, contribution or this way that I'm contributing to or serving or assisting the life of the community is really something which is a bit beyond me. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm happy doing it, but it, somehow or other, it's something moving in me that's actually prompting me in this way. And I'm very happy doing it. I love doing it. Don't know why, just really like doing what I'm doing. And that's the Spirit. So the power of the Spirit is at work, not necessarily in those dramatic fashions that we can immediately sort of get zapped with something, but the power of the Holy Spirit is there, shaping and creating and forming the body of Christ. And the more that we are able to be open to the Holy Spirit, the more that God is able to work in us. So hopefully it helps us understand a little bit about who is the Holy Spirit, what he does. One, th one thing I would comment upon about the Holy Spirit, I always like to emphasize the Holy Spirit moves in two particular areas of our life, in the mind and the heart. We often focus on the heart, and rightly so, but I also like to focus on the mind. The reason for that is because Jesus so often spoke about the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. And, and one of the things the Holy Spirit does is enlighten our minds. Now, here's another question. 
You would all be able to answer straight away. One of the gifts that we mentioned in relation to the sacrament of confirmation. Okay? How many are there? Seven. All right. Come on. Name them. Shatra. <laughs> Name one. Wisdom. One. What's another one? Wonder and awe. Two. I got two. Knowledge. Three. Piety. Four. Fortitude. Courage. Five. Fear of the Lord. We have to, uh, piety, fear of the Lord is the same. Five. Counsel, yes. Six. Counsel, same as right judgment. Six. What's number seven? It's actually the second one. Understanding. That's right. I think you'll have to have a remedial class in confirmation. <laughs> But notice these gifts, they're important gifts because they remind us that the Holy Spirit is an active agent in our minds. We should not underestimate how important it is for the Holy Spirit to be an agent enlightening our minds. Particularly because we live in a world today where there are so many different approaches to things, so many, and all the time you're hearing views, attitudes, approaches to things. We really need more than ever today to be able to be guided in our minds in the ways of truth. We really need to be able to, to have that enlightenment of our mind. So wisdom, knowledge, understanding, right judgment. These are ways in which the Holy Spirit works in our minds, enlightening and guiding our minds. It's really good to pray for the Holy Spirit as a spirit of truth that Jesus spoke about. Come in as an agent to engage my mind. And lead me in the ways of truth. Help me see and understand things. They talk about the idea that we have the eyes of faith. Faith enables you to see things that a person who does not have faith cannot see. Just like Jesus said, the world won't be able to see the Holy Spirit. You've got to have faith to recognize the Holy Spirit's presence and see what the Holy Spirit's doing. See, that's the eyes of faith. Faith enables us to see things at the level of the Spirit. And it's the mind that sees the mind is enlightened and recognises and sees things. So the Holy, the Holy Spirit is there to help us. And I think today that's a very important dimension to the presence of the Holy Spirit. So it's really good to pray for the Holy Spirit to be the source of the enlightenment of our mind. And the other thing the Holy Spirit does is moves in the heart, particularly giving us the heart of Jesus because the Spirit is one with Jesus, and so the Spirit is going to want to form and fashion our hearts in the same way that, in the same manner of the heart of Jesus. And that's what the gifts of the Spirit are, the fruits of the Spirit we spoke of before. They are making us more like Jesus. We have the same qualities as Jesus had because it's the Spirit of God that is shaping our hearts so that our hearts become more and more hearts of, of true sons and daughters of God. So the Holy Spirit enables us to take on the character and nature of God himself. So the Holy Spirit shapes, forms, and transforms our hearts. The Holy Spirit, again, is an active agent in our Christian life, doing extraordinary and wonderful things. So 
I'm going to finish really leading into what we'll do tonight. I think we've got to do two things with the Holy Spirit. Firstly, to understand more, and I'm hoping you might have picked up one or two things on this talk about the Holy Spirit. To understand, because I think we need to understand more and more what the Holy Spirit can do so that we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit, engage ourselves more effectively with the Holy Spirit. Then the, but the second thing is very much on how we do this. Now, we'll do more of this tonight. But I just want to offer you a couple of uh, things which you might like to begin to reflect upon, and we'll take them up in more detail this evening. First thing is, is a line from St. Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.6, where St. Paul says to Timothy, fan into a flame the gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Fan into a flame. The fire image back again. The fire image back again. You know, fires, interesting fires. You know, a fire can, um, can be burning and then can go down. If you don't put more wood on the fire, it starts to go down, doesn't it? The fire starts to go down. And when the fire starts to go down, then what do you got to do? You got to put a bit more fuel on the fire, then you got to get a hat or, or blow or something like that to get the fire going again. So if you imagine that we all have the, the, the Holy Spirit as a fire in us, but the fire can go down. The fire can go down. I mean, it can all be, also be extinguished, but it can go down. And maybe that's the way it is in a lot of our lives. The, Holy Spirit, the fire is there, but it's, it's gone down a lot. So one of the things we need to do is fan into a flame and we get it going. So we'll talk about that a little bit more tonight, but you might like to carry that image with you. Think about that. That's what I need to do. I need to be fanning because we've already got the Holy Spirit but we need to fan it into a flame. The other thing, and I'll leave you with this and conclude with this, is, and I'll take this up again tonight, but you might just like to listen to what Jesus says, and this is from St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 9 to 13. I'll finish with this. Jesus said, Ask, and you will receive. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Anyone who asks, receives. Anyone who searches, finds. Anyone who knocks, will have the door opened. Is there anyone among you who would hand his son a stone when he asked for bread? Would hand him a snake? when he asks for a fish. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. That was Archbishop Julian Porteous on how the Holy Spirit is active within us. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.